Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cashback events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. 
And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Kampala in Uganda. You know, what's amazing to me about Uganda, first of all, people don't understand the topography, they don't understand the size, uh, they don't understand the options. 25% of this country is covered by water. Uh, and of course, I think you may have heard about Lake Victoria, but you also have the Nile. You also have some, some class five river rapids to play with. Uh, I've had a chance of going down the Omo in Ethiopia, and let me tell you, that's one wild ride, but there's some pretty wild rides here in Uganda as well. And joining me now, someone who knows a little bit about that, one of the great tour operators out here, Amos Lukesa. How are you, man? Thank you, Peter. Now, you and I saw each other a couple of years ago in Las Vegas at the World Travel and uh, Tourism Congress. Uh, absolutely. We had a good chat. We had a good chat. And yeah. you said, you got to come back to Uganda. I said, I'm coming, I'm coming. Absolutely. It's good and, to see you here. And I'm here. Yeah. Most Americans don't understand what there really is here. Of course, yeah. But in terms of your wildlife offerings, in terms of your adventure offerings, yeah. in terms of just an overall experience, I mean, it's one thing to be on, on, on the manicured grounds of, an, of a lovely resort like we're at right now, yeah. but not far from here, we are roughing it, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Tell me what's, what's going on out there. No, I, think, I think Uganda is one, it's, it's called Africa compressed. If you look at the whole of Africa, Uganda has got almost everything that the rest of Africa has got. Uh, very great stuff, like the greatest weather in the world. And we have an average of 28 degrees centigrade throughout the year. And the reason is that much as we're well, close... Well, you're, you're on the equator. Yeah, we're on the equator. We're, close, we're, we're crossed by the equator, but the lowest point in Uganda is 622 meters high. So it gives so us... about 1,000 feet. Absolutely. The only country that comes close in terms of great weather is Ecuador, a bit of western Kenya, and eastern Congo. Those are the only places in the world that come close to the quality of weather that you, this country has got. And we've got 53.9% of the world population of the mountain gorillas that many people would love to see. We've got over 5,000 individual chimpanzees in uh, many forests in this country. We've got more inland water bodies and lakes compared to any country in the African continent, yes, including the Nile, including Lake Victoria, many of these places. We've got so many mountains, the third, fourth, fifth highest mountains. For those that love hiking, there's no better place. In fact, National Geographic just did a survey on the top 13 hiking places in the world, and there was only one in Africa, and that was the Ronzores. It's just that we have not marketed it well, but Peter, we're going to market it. Well, people don't have that, they don't see the visibility, you know. The, um, there's another country in Africa that most people can't even point to on the map, and they can't point to Uganda on the map either, by the way. Yeah. Uh, they might be able to point to Kenya. Most people don't even know that Egypt is in Africa. I mean, we, we, have, we have issues here, yeah. and that's Gabon. They have an unbelievable wildlife in Gabon. Absolutely. And nobody knows. It's true. Right? Absolutely. But here, uh, you've been able to, over the last years, put it in, in a manageable sense, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's accessible. Yeah. You've, you've been able to preserve it. Yeah. You've got some national parks here with some serious effects on poaching. Absolutely. You know, that you really, efforts there to, to stop it. You are doing that, yes. We're trying to fight it. What's the biggest challenge that you have? I think uh, our biggest challenge is people finding alternative livelihood from these protected areas. Because you know that the biggest custodian of any protected area is the person that neighbors it. Now, if you look at places where we have forest, you have the people harvesting trees for a number of reasons. One, it's charcoal. Two, uh, for timber. Uh, three, for, you know, different, different firewood. That's what they're doing. Now, because of that and the traditional way of earning, we, 
as private businessmen like myself or the government, what we have to see is give them alternative livelihoods out of these places by doing otherwise tourism. You'll, otherwise, you'll lose it. Absolutely. Is it true? I heard this. I, I haven't been able to verify it. Maybe you can tell me this. Uh -huh. Is there a law in Uganda that says if you cut down a tree, you have to plant three? Yes, just it's not been affected. I think, you know, sometimes... But it's it's an interesting law. Yeah, yeah. Is it enforceable? Uh, it could be enforceable if the, if the authorities, of course, took it up. But I think there's something that I think as private sector, we must take on with government and say, you know what? Where we've reached, this law must be enforced. Because there are practical countries like Rwanda where things are working in terms of uh, enforcing of the law. And I think we can in this country. Yeah, because the, the way I look at it, it's, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Because... If you want to preserve the environment, you, there's, there's a cause and effect relationship you can see immediately. Absolutely. That if you cut down a tree and don't replace them, yeah. you don't have a forest anymore. Absolutely. I mean, duh, right? Absolutely. So we have to do that, right? We have to do that. We have no choice. What are the other challenges? Um, of course, the other challenge we've, we've had is, is our history. If you look at Uganda, Uganda was the number one tourism destination in Eastern, Eastern Central Africa until 1971. When Idi Amin took over power, of course, we had lots of challenges over maybe a period of 20, 30 years, 20 years from 1971. And that killed the, the, the tourism um, hype that we had many years ago. And of course, current leadership was a lot younger in the 60s uh, and therefore never understood tourism very well. Of course, it's taken a lot of time to convince them that actually tourism works. Of course, tourism can change this country forever because I don't think there's any country in Africa that has the potential that Uganda has. What does Uganda produce? that the world consumes in volume, other than travel and tourism. Yeah, um, we, we were known for coffee. We were the yes, num number two after as Brazil Ken many years. Like Kenya as well. Absolutely, Kenya yes. we did that. In fact, a lot of coffee that's being sold in Kenya is actually bought in Uganda. Oh, I hope <laughs> someone doesn't hear that. The tea, we got some of the best qualities of but tea. But still, you need, for the GDP, you need that travel and tourism. Uh, absolutely, and, but tourism has proved to us, proved, has to prove that without any investment, it's brought in $1.4 billion minus investment, which means if we invested, Tourism can bring in $10 billion, even $20 billion. Amos Wakessa, thank you, man. Thank By you the way, you. the name of your, country, your company is Great Lake Safaris, yeah, named after, of course, Lake Victoria, among others, right? Uh, absolutely. There you go. Keep that going. This is Flight 372 on SWA. The flight attendants on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle, David in the back. My name is David, and I'm here to tell you that. Shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be $4. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be $3, and you get the whole can. We won't take your cash. You got to pay with plastic. If you have a coupon, then that's for uh, Let me ask you this. A lot of people talk about destination weddings. I get that. And, of course, the word destination honeymoon, well, it's a sort of redundant because that you go on a destination honeymoon every time you do a honeymoon, and hopefully you only do that once. Uh, my next guest just got back from one, and the reason why I asked her to come on the show, other than the fact that she's one of our correspondents, is to talk about the choices that she made, because hopefully, as I said before, you only want to do it once, and this one is truly over the top, because they're not just going to, you know, a lot of people go to Hawaii, They some people go to the South Pacific, some people will stay in the United States. Some people won't go very far from home. I know some people who want to go to Disney World on their honeymoon. But what about a safari, especially in these times? Sarah Pugh joins us on her return from her African safari honeymoon. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Peter. How are you? All right. So still married? I'm still married. Still happily married, yes. <laughs> You're still Four talking to each later, other? Okay. Are, why, why did you pick... 
an African honeymoon. And, I, and the reason why I'm suggesting that is, or even asking that question is because so many people, uh, the residual fear of three things, a, an unknown destination, uh, lack of control f- issues, or of course, the, the medical fears of, of, of Ebola. Uh, yet you went, you came back, you're not frothing at the mouth, you're not glowing in the dark, you had a great time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was it was a conscious decision. We we spent months really thinking through what was the right opportunity for us. And you know, I think a lot of couples, when they go through that planning of of their wedding, you know, so many details that they have to go through, and the thought of actually planning an African safari after getting through your wedding, the last thing that you want to do is hop on a plane, go some 28 hours away, go sun up to sundown, traveling from here to there. Most couples, I think, really want to take that time to have a relaxing um, Mai Tai by the pool or beachside somewhere and really just enjoy and reflect on being married. But, you know, for, for my husband and I, it was it was something different. We We wanted this exploration. We wanted a chance to really experience something new together and have some life moments that would bring us closer together, create that bond um, that would last us an absolute lifetime. And uh, certainly and an African safari didn't, didn't let us down. And that's one of the reasons why I asked if you were still talking to each other because, <laughs> you know, I've always said, and this has nothing to do with a honeymoon, it has something to do just with real life, that if you mm-hmm. really want to find out if you want to be with somebody, just travel with them. <laughs> That's very true. And and we certainly did. We learned a lot about each other. And I think that, you know, we talked about this while we were traveling. You, you, you take yourself wherever you go. You bring all of, beyond your bags and your toiletries, you also bring a lot of your preconceived notions, your experiences, all these things together. Um, and they make you a different person while you're traveling. And I learned so much about my husband while we were traveling. And I grew to like him even more. I, I, I hate that cliche of we fell in love every time, every you know, every day over and over again. But, you know, it was true. There were certain things that I, I didn't know about him that really helped me uh, learn more about him and experience uh, new things together. Uh, I would say after 51 hours of getting on our way back home, we may have had a little bit of quiet time in the cab on the way home. But that's to be uh, no matter where you go, that's going to happen. <laughs> no, listen, anytime you travel, you're you're going to be challenged. And I'll go beyond that. You're going to be tested because it's mm-hmm. a question of, of how you adjust to when things don't go according to plan and mm-hmm. how you basically survive those adjustments. And mm-hmm. uh, I see people having meltdowns over the silliest things when they travel because they're out of their comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, we, we were pretty lucky. Um, and, you know, a part of this is the planning process that goes into that. You know, we chose a safari outfit that really took care of a lot of those details for us. Um, you know, Mikado Safaris was our company that we went with, and all of those details were really thought through. It was, um, uh, we didn't really have to lift a finger going anywhere. And when something, you know, we got absolutely rained on uh, while we were in Zanzibar, that's something we wouldn't experience. But yet the crew turned around, put together a wonderful private dinner for us that just really, we kind of laughed about those things that don't go well. Those are those experiences that really bring you closer together as a couple, and you laugh about those things in the end. Well, I think I, I can make this suggestion, and I think I'll get a lot of people agreeing with this, that if you <laughs> think back to all of your best travel experiences, the ones that you remember the mm-hmm. most, and with the fondest <laughs> memories, those are the mm-hmm. experiences that happened when Plan A didn't work. Absolutely. And I, I, I agree with that, and I also think it's, 
it's the moments, the, the experiences that really last with you a lifetime are the ones where you've pushed yourself, where you've scared yourself a little bit. You know, going on an African safari, I think you have that moment that your first animal encounter, when you pull up on a pride of lions in the middle of a conservancy and your heart is about ready to beat out of your chest. But as soon as you break that barrier and you get over that fear, the overwhelming uh, experience that comes after that, you just you have to embrace it and you have to go with it. It's those things that you push yourself to continue to do and that you never would imagine that just creates a longer experience for you. We've been Great. talking with, uh, with Sarah Pugh, our correspondent, back from her African safari honeymoon. But stay with us, Sarah, because there's another aspect to this, and that is how you give back on the road how you actually become a responsible traveler. Back with more of Peter Greenberg Worldwide when we return right after this. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. been talking to our correspondent Sarah Pugh, successfully returned, still talking to her husband from her African safari honeymoon. Uh, but one of the interesting things that you mentioned just in the last segment, Sarah, you, you booked your tour through a, uh, a really good operator in Mikado. I, we, I, I really love what they do, but I love what they do for something else. Uh, and that is they make it a part of your itinerary, whether you're on a honeymoon or you're just on the safari itself, so that you know, one of the one of the measurements that I that I that I make about whether or not I really like what somebody's doing in the travel industry is I, I like to follow the money. You know, when you go to these safaris and you're in in the bush and you're out there in the communities, where does the money go? How much of it goes back to the local communities? How much of it is 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 done in a sustainable way? And uh, I happen to think they do a pretty good job, but in your case, they they actually did something else, didn't they? Yeah, you know, I think when when we were choosing our safari outfit, you know, that was one of the reasons why Mikado Safaris just rose to the top for us. Um, and I think we knew that going in that we wanted to have that experience. And I think a lot of honeymooners don't think about that or vacationers don't think about that. But, you know, that actually brings a whole different element to your vacation together. But with Makuru, you know, they, uh, I'm sorry, with Mikado, they really, they brought us right there to the heart of it. They took us to the Makuru Slum. We went from going in a hot air balloon over the Mara over to and doing a game drive all the way over to the Makuru Slum, the second largest slum in Nairobi. Um, there's over 750,000 people living there in abject poverty. Um, and it's an experience that uh, it, it's really difficult to explain. There were sights and smells and surroundings that I will never be able to get over. And I think what Mikado has done is they've taken a narrow focus. They've concentrated on this area in Makuru, become their families, become the people that they know and love, and they've just invested wholeheartedly in that community to support the children there and to support the education and to get break that cycle of poverty in there. And they've just done an amazing job with all the elements that they provide there. And they've done one other thing that totally blew me away, and I have to give them a shout-out uh, <laughs> to, to, to Dennis Pinto and, and his team over there. And this is what they've done. And this isn't just like idle talk. They're actually they're putting their own money where their mouths are. And they've said this, that for every safari they book, and think about this, this is huge, for every safari they book, they're going to put one 
African child all the way through school. That is it's, just staggering. It's outstanding. And that was something that, you know, they, they picked that up from other companies that have had a one-for-one commitment. But they're the only safari company that it's more about uh, some other safari companies may come in, they may write a check, and then they leave. And you don't see them, you don't feel them. But for uh, Mikado Safaris and their America Share partner, they really do. They bring those guests from America that are coming over on a safari, and they give back. They really demonstrate one-on-one what they can do to watch the growth of this, um, of this environment. And the children there, you know, they just they melt your heart when you drive through the slums in Makuru, and you just their hearts are, are beaming out of their eyes and through their smiles, and they... You know, I asked our Mikado director, what, what, are they, what are they looking at when they see me? What are they, how am I supposed to do? And he said, you need to respond. You need to say hello, because to them, you represent hope. And that, to me, was one of those elements that just absolutely outstanding uh, service, outstanding environment, outstanding activities. And the Mikado guys have so much to be proud of for what they've accomplished since they opened this um, so many years ago. And the word school, let's get into that for a second, because... Mm-hmm. The word school in my book, having been mm-hmm. to that part of the world, it means the community itself. Without mm-hmm. a school, you don't have a community. Everything revolves around the school. And right. if you take a look at how many kids don't go to school because their parents literally cannot afford to send them, they can't afford to do any of that. So for a company like Mercado to come in and do this, uh, you're looking at tangible results that are making right. a huge difference in the word community. And, right. uh, for, and for me, that you know, it's not about, as you said, Sarah, it's not about writing a check. It's about actually seeing results. And, and so you know, for those of you who are listening to the show, and, and by the way, it's not just Mikado, it's any of the operators over there. If you're going to book a safari, ask them. Ask them to show you, to tell you, to detail for you what they're doing in terms of giving back to the community and then follow the money, and you'll be very happy you did once you do that, not to mention how happy everybody else is going to be that you even showed up because, as Sarah said, you do represent hope. Hello? Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. This segment of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Bermuda. So much more. Visit GoToBermuda.com to experience more of Bermuda today. As I do every week at this time, I encourage you to go to our website, PeterGreenberg.com, for our comprehensive list of all the aid and relief organizations doing all that hard and essential work all around the world, whether it's in Haiti, whether it's in the Philippines, still still recovering from from the typhoon, to Christchurch, New Zealand, still recovering from another earthquake two and a half years ago, they do need your help, and you can involve yourself in an up-close and personal way every time you travel, including even in your own backyard. We always like to localize all the volunteerism opportunities, and Uganda is no exception. Volunteer Uganda is an organization that supports schools and communities in the Bwindi region of southwest Uganda. By the way, that's an area that's got a great national park here, but also is really quite undiscovered if you took, took things in, in its 
total perspective. And what they do, they've been working in the area since 2010, working with kids in primary schools. You get to volunteer in any one of 15 schools. You can do it for a day, a week. You can even do it for up to 12 weeks. But the point is, you get to immerse yourself in the culture and work with them in every aspect of their learning. And guess what? While you do so, how about that safari you get to take? Pretty cool stuff in the Queen Elizabeth National Park. So for more information, go to their website, volunteeruganda.org index, or go right to my website, petergreenberg.com, for the complete and total list. Most of my audience, and I'm saying this to everybody listening to this show right now, I have to bust you. You're geographically ignorant. You don't know where Utah is, how are you going to find Uganda. But the point is, once you get here, there are so many things you don't even know about that you can do here. And one of them is the Ugongo Cultural Center. And joining me now, a man who knows a little bit about that, Jim Tumasimi. How are you, sir? I'm very fine, thank you. How are you? Good. Tell me about the center and tell me how long it's been around and what you do there. It's been around, it opened uh, four years ago. Relatively young. Very young, but very old. The location where it is, is very old. It stands at a place which has the only scientifically proved date of an event that shaped the kingdoms of the Great Lakes region and where historians were able to determine the genealogies of those kingdoms because of an eclipse that took place in that spot. And from there comes all the other stuff you've been Everything doing. Everything follows from there. Now, I'm one of those people who believes that, you know, you just don't go to a museum and look at stuff. You want to interact. You want to get involved. You want to, you know, touch and feel and do. How interactive are you? Quite interactive in the traditional sense. We are not uh, uh, digitized where you can press a button and get things come. Oh, good. The then I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll do just fine there then. <laughs> but if you want to touch a, a sculpture of a cow, you want to look at a woman and how she's described the beauty of the traditional people, if you want to see how they used to prepare their food and what they used to dress in and the people who ruled them and their pictures and talk to the, the guides, you like it. You know, when you take a look at the British rule here, which was from like 1900 to 1962, there's a reason why English is the predominant language here, and yet people don't realize there are 33 other languages spoken in Uganda. Even more. No. Yes, as a publisher, in about two months' time, we shall deliver books to all schools in this country in 25 languages. Those are the ones that the government has been able to fund. There are others who are going to start clamoring for that same status. Well, what's interesting about that is, you know, you, you look at the state of Hawaii, for example, and the traditional language of Hawaiian is fast disappearing. Yes. It's, it's, it, and there's nobody handing it down. There's nobody preserving it. What do you do with 25 languages? How do you make sure you keep them? What is happening now is that if each group has revived its traditional authority, they now have kings. We used to have uh, four important kingdoms in Uganda. They later on became five, but now we have close to 20 kings. We have, it's a country with the largest number of kings. You have the largest one, number of kings of any country in the world. <laughs> now, wait a second, that's a problem. Yes, it's, it's a, a big problem. problem. But that is because. Do they talk to each other? Wait a minute, do they talk to each other? Do they, yes, talk they do. They do. Okay. And th that's breaking the rules. Previously, <laughs> you were not supposed to meet another king. In, in our traditions, a king was not supposed to meet another king. Because you only meet in war. 
Except for one small problem. When you got 20 in the country, sooner or later you're bound to say hello now, to each other. Now they meet. They meet, but <laughs> they invite each other. But these kings, part of the, the reasons why they were uh, revived is that they must promote their local languages and culture. And they have to continue to do that. They have to continue doing that. But even then, the languages are under pressure. First from within, the other languages are swallowing them, then from the pressure of English. When somebody comes here for the first time, yes. and, I, and in the interest of full disclosure, my producer is here for the first time, so when you're talking to me right now, you're also talking to her. Yes. What's the one thing they're the most surprised to discover about Uganda? The openness of the people, the friendliness, the willingness to meet white people and discuss with them without fear and anxiety, like you have in many African countries. Many countries were colonized in Africa, and they had the white rulers, the Europeans. Now, Uganda, they used the indirect rule. They used those kings to govern the country, and the British came and sat on top to give directions. So they never came face-to-face -face on a regular basis on conflicting, on tax collection, and they didn't. So they remained uh, attached to these friends of theirs who were not very close, who were not as harsh as, say, neighboring countries, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Kenya. So there is that warmth you will experience immediately. So that fight or movement for independence yes. was less of a struggle here? Very much so. And it later on came to haunt us because people didn't know that they had to fight to get their country liberated, in quotes. They thought they, they just brought some groups, put them together, and formed a government. And shortly after, they were on each other's throat. So much for freedom. Well, well, well. It was freedom, and we are still... Freedom to be at each other's throat. <laughs> yes. When you think about it. Yeah, most the first revolutionary leader we have had is President Museveni, in that he was now liberating Africans from fellow Africans. Well, look at the history there. Yes. You had a bote. Yes. And then you had Idi Amin. Amin. Yes. I mean, that's a legacy that's not easy to forget. Not at all. So we were more hostile to each other than we were hostile to Europeans and Americans and to some extent Indians. It's Amin who started this uh, racial uh, problem, racial war. But most Ugandans are very happy to work with everybody. Let's go back to Idi Amin for a second because you know, there's that famous quote that if you don't remember the past, you're doomed to repeat it. Exactly. Uh, how much of his history is preserved here for people to realize what really went on during that, during that reign? It, it is now the Uganda Tourism Board which is trying to erect some form of monument, memory site for him. As a publisher, most of the, my best-selling titles are on Idamin. In terms of looking at him, he's disappeared, long disappeared. People have long forgotten who he is, and of course most of his lieutenants are part of the government. Right, but what I'm saying is if you go to uh, Hiroshima in, J in Japan, it yes. is a requirement of all school children in Japan yes. to visit the monument of the atomic bomb so that they learn from it so that it never happens again. Is there such a thing here in Uganda? No. Uh, no. I mean, just destroyed the economy systematically. Most investors left the country, and then he killed people. But so you cannot go back to look for people who, and most of his victims disappeared. You never trace their skeletons or their, uh, unlike Obote, who most of his victims are the, skull, the skeletons and skulls are there in Ruero. But Amin always made his victims disappear. 
literally throwing, throwing them in the lake, throwing them in forests, and they would be mauled by animals. So it's very hard to pin a mean and say this is a mean. Very, very little. He has very little trace. But Museveni has been in power for quite some time. Close to 30 years. I mean, that is, from in terms of stability and history and legacy, that's, that's unbelievable. That's what? It's unbelievable. He, unbelievable. He, well, yes, because he provided, he combines, he's the state, he's the government, and he's the leader. Those three, because we lacked all of them. Most cases, if you talk the United States, whether it's Obama or Bush or anybody, the Congress, the Senate, the rules, they are almost the same. And now here, we didn't have anything. We had, everything was built from scratch because they had been destroyed. So from basically, the, he provided stability for the first time. Yes, yes. And most business people are very anxious. They, they fear that if he goes in a system, in a system that is not... Uh, if it doesn't have a proper handover, it would be a disaster for the country. Jim Tumasimi from the Ogon- from the Ogongo Cultural Center. Thank you so much. We really appreciate that. You are most welcome. Back with more yes. of Peter Greenberg Worldwide from Kampala in Uganda. Right after. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com/slash. Travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Every time I come here, I'm reminded about how much I don't know about the country, about how much I don't know about the wildlife here, about about nature in itself. Because when you think about it, Uganda is truly a, an ongoing laboratory, if you will, of of everything that the world has to offer. I mean, talk about diversity. And joining me now. Someone who knows a little bit about this, with a great name, Achilles Baranga, the executive director of Nature Uganda. So with that kind of introduction, am I far off from the truth, or did I get it? You got it. And thanks for hosting me. Oh, no. Listen, thank you for having us. You know, we are in sort of central East Africa. East Africa, of course, mostly being Kenya and Tanzania. But here we are next door to Kenya. And, you know, in Kenya, we've seen, you know, all the migrations We've seen the wildebeest and we've seen the, you know, the orcs. I mean, every imaginable animal that I grew up with, you know, watching as a kid, I got a chance to see there, right? But no, that's not the answer. There's stuff here that nobody's seen, like the gorillas. Exactly. Tell me about that. You know, um, Uganda is in a, a much more privileged uh, location than any one of the countries that you have already mentioned. We, we are on the top of the East African plateau. So if you think of Central Africa as a, a termite mound with Congo as on the other side of the termite mound and Kenya on the other side of the termite mound and Sudan on the other side of the termite mound, we are at the top of that termite mound. Which means what? That means that we share one of the best ecological systems that probably is not shared with other countries. And that already is reflected in the diversity of not only ecological system, but also the biodiversity that goes with it. And that's why you are talking about mountain gorillas, because they are only on this top of this plateau, found only in the Vilunga Mountains uh, in the southwestern part of Uganda. And not many of them. There are not many of them, actually. They are probably about 700, and Uganda has got about 400. Yeah, so there are not many of them. But recently, we have seen the numbers increasing uh, slowly, uh, which is 
probably credited on uh, more strict conservation measures that have been put on some of those habitats where they belong. Where they, where and of they course, when you talk about the word strict conservation methods, we're really talking about poaching in some cases too. Yes, yes, there. I mean, there are quite there are quite a number of threats to these uh, uh, to these animals. Uh, one is that the location where they are is one of the most densely populated areas probably in the world. We've got about 300 people per square kilometer, all distributed in the landscape. They're all subsistence farmers, and they're all looking at the same resource that the gorillas are actually looking for as well. So there's a lot of conflict between uh, communities and, uh, uh, and the mountain gorillas. And therefore, the areas where the mountain gorillas were gazetted as national parks, and therefore, strict conservation, that's what it means. Yeah. And we're talking, is it the uh, Bwindi? That's, yeah, that's yeah. Bwindi uh, yeah. Impenetrable National Park, right. and then uh, Mugahinga uh, National Park. They're just two adjacent parks. Now, we talk about, you know, responsible tourism. That, that can be defined in so many different ways. Yeah. But from the visitor point of view, how, how can visitors be responsible? Of course, again, uh, we're just talking about threats. Uh, tourism can be a very big opportunity. Yeah, because it, it's, it's, it's a double-edged be double sword. It's a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword, exactly. That, that's right. Uh, for example, the mountain gorillas, uh, which are about 98% ourselves, so we share quite a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of genes, a lot of uh, you know, uh, and they can catch our diseases. Uh, they can uh, uh, they can be infected. We can infect them. And that actually is a big challenge. So uh, if you're not responsible, then it is very easy to spread the virus within the gorillas. Right now we know that they can get flu, they can get uh, scabies, they can get some of the diseases that human beings uh, also get. And this is because of the, of, of the closeness that now we have come to these mountain gorillas because they are allowed to be tracked, they have been habituated, and they are exposed to some of the things that they wouldn't have been exposed to if they were in the wild. And responsible tourism means that they need to be managed in such a way that such kind of threats and risks uh, are, not, uh, are not transmitted to these mountain gorillas. Well, you know, if you look at some of the other countries and what they've done to try to do what you're talking about, in Ecuador, limiting the number of boats in the Galapagos at any one time, you know, making sure that the tour buses don't all invade at the, on the same day in other locations, what have you done here to limit the numbers? Um, talking about the Galapagos, um, well, um, I know a little bit about that, but uh, to just uh, uh, to mention is that we make management plans. We put some restrictions, but often, like it has happened in the Galapagos, these restrictions have not been followed. But in Uganda, uh, what we have done is to limit the number of people that can access these animals at a time or in a day. You allow one group of people to go and visit a mountain gorillas once, uh, once a day, so that you can allow them time to go and do their own bit. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but also limit the distance at which you can get close uh, to the mountain gorillas. Also, what actually you can do when you get there. For example, you don't take pictures with the, uh, with the flash. Uh, with the flash, because it can excite them when they become they're wild animals. Uh, so you can never know how they are going to react. So you have exactly. got a limit on how uh, the interaction between people and gorillas happens when they get there. But the bottom line is you need to go see them. It's unbelievable. Yes. Oh, yeah. And we can do it. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
access to one email right away. It's from Siri Reagan that says, uh, in June, my husband, daughter, and I will be visiting relatives in England. This is our first trip overseas. My husband is 6'9", and basically all legs. He has diabetes, and because of his height, poor circulation in his legs. I'm trying to determine which airline offers the most legroom for someone of his height. We live in New Orleans, and only a couple of airlines fly to London. But if we have to fly to another city and take a different airline to England for my husband to be comfortable, then that's okay. Well, first of all, anybody who's 6'9", flying in any airline in coach is not going to be comfortable. That you're, I mean, I'm, I'm six feet even, and I got to tell you, in many cases, my knees are up against my neck. So at 6'9", I mean, he's, he's got to be a contortionist. So bottom line is this. It's not a question of which airline offers the best seats. It's actually which coach seat in the aircraft type that he's flying will be the best for him. And it's not what you think. It's not going to be the bulkhead seat, and it may not be the exit row seat. If it's a 757, and a number of airlines do fly to, to Europe on 757s, you can check United out of Newark, for example. If you pick 10A or 10F, those are coach seats, your husband will thank you forever. He'll also probably thank me, too, because there is no seat 9A and there is no seat 9F, and therefore you're on a window seat with nobody in front of you. You have just total legroom because it's by the exit door. Uh, there are other seats on other aircraft types. If you go to our website, petergreenberg.com, we've got them broken out by aircraft type and by coach seat. Remember, it's not the bulkhead seat we're talking about. It's not the extra. That's what everybody else goes for. These are seats based on the configuration of the plane that are particularly well suited for people who are tall because there's nobody sitting in front of you. It's really as simple as that. Uh, but you're not going to be able to do that from New Orleans. You're going to have to take another flight to an international gateway city like Newark or Atlanta or JFK to make that happen. Okay? My next guest knows a little bit about this resort. For the last 13 years, he's been the executive chef here. His name is Ali Matano. How are you, sir? Fine, sir. From Kenya? I'm from Kenya, Mombasa. From Mombasa. Yep. Uh, when I go to Amsterdam and I talk about Dutch cuisine, people laugh at me. They say, there's no such thing as Dutch cuisine. But there is such a thing as Ugandan cuisine. Yeah. Tell me what it is. What, what, what makes something Ugandan? Uganda, we have fresh vegetables, fresh fruits. We use teeming and roasting. We don't use like, mostly we look our guests on the gluten-free. And most of food we do in steaming, in banana leaves. So it's, it's in banana leaves? Yeah, you, wrap the, you cook the food in banana leaves so that it can get natural steam from the stove, charcoal stove or gas stove. So a charcoal stove is the old, it's the old school. That's, yeah. that's the old way to do it. Old school. So is, so is banana leaves too. Banana leaves too. To get the flavor, natural flavor from the food. It's not that we are looking at the English food, so we have to do our own modern food, convert it to our African food. Is it much more of a slow cooking? Yeah, slow cooking. It is slow cooking, steaming. So you get all the flavor in the food. It's not nutrients which is going out. Important. Yeah. Now, in the United States, of course, everybody's talking about farm to table, yeah. how, they, how they source their food. But in Uganda, you've been doing that for years. You've always sourced locally. We have different type of food. Sometimes we do the this English food, but no, oh, no, no, not English food. Yeah, this is, <laughs> the, we convert the Dutch food, that one, but we convert in our local way. Exactly, yeah. but but the point is, whatever the ingredients are, you're still cooking the Ugandan way. Yeah, all the most ninety percent the ingredients are come from Uganda. They are grown from here. What about the fish? Fish, we have the lake. And what's coming out of the lake? Perch. We have nail perch. We have tilapia, catfish, with a crayfish. Uh, crayfish? Crayfish, yeah. yeah. 
crayfish we get from their local. And are you blackening it? Are you, how are you, are you cooking it in a different way? Okay, we have so many different ways of cooking, smoking, because we can dry it by smoking, we can dry it by salt. And then another one, we cook it in fresh way. So you can grill it. In our charcoal grill, you get it when it has the charcoal flavor nicely. Fresh fish, you grill on nose, no much oil, just salt, natural oil from the fish. So, so you're not throwing a lot of olive oil on it? You're not throwing a lot of, 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 of butter? Mm, we avoid much about butter because we need you to get the natural of the taste. <laughs> yeah. Not only that, you've been doing that for hundreds of years. I've done not 100 years. Not you, but I mean the no, Ugandans have. I'm not doing that for 100 years. Not you, but the Ugandans have. Yeah, but we converted so that we can sell the product outside. Everyone is proud for what is coming from his motherland. Exactly. So what's yeah. your signature dish? What's the one thing on your menu that you can't get anywhere else? Uh, my signature dish you cannot get anywhere else is tilapia fillet. Uh, roasted nicely and then grilled some grilled zucchini that is egg, uh, baby marrow. Wow. Yeah, with mango, that local mango we get and we make a sauce with it like a coolie, that is mango champagne sauce with lemon flavor. It's tilapia with mango champagne sauce? Yes. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.